0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm here with Marilyn. Hey, guys. And Elliot. Hey, everybody. And we are going to talk about group training today. I know a lot of people enjoy training in groups, whether it's like riding on a group ride, meeting people for track workouts or organized group runs, maybe jumping into master's swims. And we're going to kind of roll through all that and talk about kind of what we think some of the benefits are, maybe some of the negatives of training in groups. And uh, as we were talking about before, we're going to just, we're just going to come in hot and Elliot seems like he's got some really strong opinions on master swim. So I'm going to try and stoke the fire right now and see if I can, see if I can get him, uh, get him like, get him really riled up. And we're going to start out just talking about master swimming and let's hear what Elliot has to say about whether or not it might be good or detrimental for for athletes. And I'm going to really try and get him to, uh, to do some generalities here, which is something he doesn't like to do, but try and twist his arm on that one. So, all right, let's start with swimming. Yeah.
1: Let's, uh, teach everybody how to do an insult sandwich master swimming. Good. It helped me personally quite a bit. It's helped quite a few people. I've coached quite a bit that said, uh, if I had a group workout where I heard an average athlete say I'm going there, my first thought is, well, that's not going to work. Um, and I think the main reason I think that, uh, is because your average master swim in the U S is let's show up and let's do 10 by or 20 by hundred on the tightest interval we can. And that's all there is to it. And, you know, maybe, if you can't make the send-off, you're going to throw in some toys, and then you're going to make the send-off that way. And it's a lot about doing hard work and not so much about, or not at all, about swimming with good form. And if you're listening to this and you go to one of the really good master programs in the country or in the world, you're telling you're immediately thinking, like, what is this guy talking about? Because there are plenty uh, master's programs across the country. I told you it'd be an insult sandwich. Um where people do take the time to specifically address various stroke structures or, you know, like lessen a send off or take, have somebody skip a rep so that they swim well. Uh, but the general focus of most master swimming is about working hard, which if you're there for a workout, great. If you're there to get faster at swimming, in my opinion, terrible. Um, like literally the opposite. So I, I was just going to kind of throw that out there because master swimming is the first thing that pops into my head of like, if done properly, it could be great, but how it's generally done in most instances, it doesn't help people get faster. It helps people work harder and have fun. Um, and then, yeah, I would say that's kind of my my start point. And I know you guys have had like different experiences, both as coaches and athletes with it. Um, so, yeah,
0: I, just, I want to pick at you a little bit there on that. Um, so what is... If master swimming and working hard doesn't lead to swimming faster, what does?
1: Working well, uh, having a purpose as to like how you're going to alter your stroke. If your stroke needs altering and if it doesn't need altering, then you're having like a, a set perfect purpose where you're maybe not always swimming as hard as you can. You're swimming as well as you can and really focusing on like, do I need more rest or to, to swim well for longer? And I think the biggest thing is like uh, quality of stroke for the back half of any set, I would say is probably the, the biggest, most important thing. And so the way some people would do that is uh, let's just say you're swimming 10 by 100 on the 130, and you could do that all out in 120, but you're just, you know, you're fighting the water the last three reps. Well, why don't you do that on the 140 or even the 145? and you just swim really well and you swim that same speed, but you're not really fighting the water. You're like getting used to that rhythm and that stroke. And then like neuromuscularly that really helps you develop and and make those stroke changes stick around. And then that when you race and you really push it, you can hold that form for longer in a nutshell. What's
2: stopping you from telling your athletes just to go down a lane?
1: Uh, because A lot of times people won't know. I mean, that's great. Yeah, that is a great thing. But then you're going to be you're ended up leading that lane. And then who there is saying, well, why aren't you going faster? Or, you know, like, that is one of the easiest ways to go about it. But even still, I've had plenty of people who say the coach will say, like, you can't swim down two lanes. We just want you to go hard. Like I've had that happen multiple times where where the coach just wouldn't do it. But you're right. That is what you do. But then the
0: um that's super interesting cuz i feel like i my experience has been the opposite where like the the masters coaches that i've worked with have, have like encouraged that where i'll be like in the you also
1: work at or swam at one of the better masters programs in the country though.
0: Well, I've swam my other master programs sure. too though. um and and so yeah i that's um but i mean i there're varying d- degrees of coaches everywhere so you definitely have to work within the constraints that you have. i uh. I do think the the points in which you bring up are really good points. I I think that hopefully athletes can have a workout goal even in a master setting and know what their goal is and what they're trying to get out of that workout and hopefully I guess in my mind you could have an athlete go to a master setting with a set of goals that like are aligned to what they're trying to get out of that and be able to take that setting and use it for its strengths and not let it um and not let it turn into something like you're saying where they're they're not getting that benefit anymore because they're just going too hard going the fastest lane they can getting two seconds rest and getting sloppy but yeah, yeah. I, I think it can be kind of tailored to what you're trying to get out if if you if you have that conversation ahead of time and athletes can really say like what is the point of going to this
1: and Marilyn uh to your question like why don't you just go down a lane I think it's more it's not that they can't do that, you know, but it's often just then you're let's say there's 30 people going to the swim and you're the person who swims down two lanes. And then, you know, like people are people and people say, oh, that person doesn't want to work hard. And then you're there trying to work hard and everybody's telling you you're lazy. And it can kind of be like, it's just another thing to fight against. So you're trying to execute your workout properly and you're having everybody telling you you're doing it wrong or you're not working hard enough. And they might have no idea what they're talking about, but having 10 people tell you doing, you're doing something wrong is really not a great scenario to do something correctly, even if you are making a proper choice.
0: I, sorry, I'm going to keep railroading over Maryland. It's just trying to talk here. Um, (laughs) I have thoughts, but I'm waiting. It's fine.
1: <laughs> we know
0: it's fine. <laughs> so yeah, my, my own personal experience is that I have I've gone to masters and like in the off season, I say, Hey guys, I'm, I'm just loafing today. And everyone seems pretty receptive to me being like open and honest about saying, Hey, I'm not racing for three months and I'm just here to get in some yards and I'm going to go last and maybe I'll skip a little bit. And, Able to do some backstroke, maybe I'll blow some bubbles on the bottom. I don't know, but I'm going to get in some yards and I'm going to hang out a little bit. And everyone seems pretty cool with with me saying this is what I'm going to do now. And then later on, I'm going to move up some lanes and swim pretty hard. And then later on, I'm going to move up to the fastest lane and swim really effing hard. And I'm going to like work my way through the lanes through the amount of intensity that I want for where I'm at in the season. And so, like, I I feel like yeah, I've been able to use the master swim as a tool for what I need when I need it. And I think that, I think, I don't know. I feel like it can be used that way. If athletes have like the confidence.
1: Sure. We're we're talking about somebody who goes down two lanes and then swims 10 seconds faster per rep than the second person. That's where, that's where you get the, you know, people kind of bad mouthing you, but 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 anyways, yeah. In your scenario, it's good.
0: I think that one of the things you're talking about it being bad is also like can be a good thing if people don't know how to swim hard right if you've never like learned that as like a skill you uh-huh. show up in a group setting and you probably have an ego probably are a little bit competitive and maybe you do swim like a little bit harder than you should but you're learning how to go hard and and you can and then that can be like a really positive takeaway to say oh I actually can do whatever it is hundreds on on the 120. And then when you like need to do it later or whatever, you kind of have that positive experience of like, yeah, my eyeballs are bleeding, but I figured out I can do that. Sorry, Marilyn, Um, I'll stop talking now.
2: You guys are good. I'm I'm enjoying this banter. It's awesome. Um, Actually, I I really agree with you there, Jesse. It's good motivation for most people if they haven't come from a swim background of learning. It, It sort of forces people into a situation where they have to learn how to use the pace clock. They have to learn how to follow the structured swim properly. Hopefully the coach keeps them on task. And, and, you know, learning how to do that, maybe even learning how to read a swim workout, if that's a struggle for them, even though you're teaching them through your program and your programming, if they, sometimes there's nothing like getting in a group environment and having to, like you say, learn how to swim hard, learn the proper etiquette of the pool, you know, what does it mean to, you know, also see other swimmers, how they swim, you know, I think it's really great when people can go to a master swim, maybe they're going to be down in the eighth lane. But they can peek underwater and see the guys and gals in lane one and two and see how how they're executing the swim, what their technique looks like. And they they learn a lot by being exposed to that group environment. There's certainly a motivation to learning how to swim harder, Um, even if just motivation is a bit of a struggle to get into the water. You know, I think you're better off to go to a master's than not swim at all or, or, you know, you get a little bit more motivated to put that extra effort in. Uh, the, the issues I've seen for a lot of athletes with master's programs. And like we say, it's a variety, there's uh, great programs out there. And then there's, you know, ones that are not designed as well. But if I was going to put an overriding concern that I have, when people talk about going to a master swim is the workouts themselves often are not specific enough for triathletes in their key builds to an a race. So I'll say to my athletes, like, Let's use masters for this, for one workout a week or two workouts a week, or for these specific times where we learn those things, we learn from other people, we're getting pushed, we're being exposed to all of these things, but then there's going to be these key workouts that are really specific for you and your races. So sometimes I'll see with masters, maybe the workout just really isn't long enough for someone getting ready for an Ironman who doesn't cover a lot of yardage in one hour, you know, maybe their workouts only ends up being two and a half K for every single time. And they really need to knock out a few four K sets to be ready for an Ironman. And we need more time and something more specific to triathlon and open water swimming. And for that athlete in particular. So I like to mix it up. You know, I think there's like a lot of benefit to something like master swimming and, um, people get a lot out of that, but I always encourage, the timing of it, okay, maybe that's really great to just go to masters all the time in the off season because we're going to be forced into kick sets and we don't have to think about it and we just like go there and use the other people all that stuff. And then in their main preparation, we might narrow it down and say, okay, well, masters is still great for these reasons. We'll go once a week, but then you know the other swims we really need to focus on your own on your own stuff to be ready for your for your race. So um, I think a balanced approach in, in incorporating it for each athlete is is how I've addressed it most of the time. Um,
1: I agree. Gen- I mean, generally speaking, how I actually work, right, is basically exactly what you just said, right? Um, <clears throat> I will say, though, like, when an, with, with someone with a more refined stroke, what you just said works great, and I also think with beginners, and it's that person who's past the beginner swimmer, who's kind of like stuck in the rut, where I feel like that's where my original statement is kind of for that person where it's just like, look, we know you can be a better swimmer, you have flashes, but it's just clear, like form wise, every, every session, we need to be working on your form. Um, And of course, you also have to be a pretty darn committed person to be heading in with, with that. Um, so you already have to have that motivation and have all the skills that you probably learned for masters in the first place, if you didn't grow up on a swim team. Um, and if you did grow up on a swim team, you kind of already have that stroke there. So then you can hop back into masters.
2: uh, I think the social aspect is something to not be overlooked as well for triathletes. You know, there's times that it's really important for people to learn to push through that feeling of isolation and, uh, just always working out on their own, but I hate to say it. I mean, triathlon a lonely sport. You're out there for, especially for long course athletes, you got to be able to mentally handle executing performances on your own with your own mind. So I think there's an important element of that is swimming by yourself and getting a feel for your own efforts and and just dealing with that mentally. But then there is other times where the motivation and the social aspect and the fun component is a really important piece to you know that 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 isn't that that comes in you know it needs to be there just for people to keep showing up and keep swimming and and want to be there and have fun and that kind of thing. So I think a balance of that as well. Like everything,
0: there's balance, right?
1: Indeed, it's the teeter totter of masters <laughs> swimming.
0: So yeah, that that leads me to a an interesting like segue to running. I had a conversation with an athlete while spectating Man Arizona and. We were watching all the runners and they kind of the runners were having fun chatting with each other and she was talking about some of the really long treadmill sessions that 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 they would do in order to get ready for an Ironman and then when they get there like it's way easier because you're running with people and it's super fun. And I thought that was a super interesting perspective and I I tend to think about it usually where I flip it on its head where it's like the racing is going to be the hard part where I need to save those mental energy marbles. And then in training, I want to like run with people and see if I can get as many running groups as I can together so that I don't need to use my like mental energy marbles in training and save them all for racing. Uh, but I definitely see that that interesting balance of like, oh, if you're like, if you've used some mental energy marbles in training, you can get to the race and it seems a little bit easier because you have this like kind of exterior motivation that wasn't there in training. I don't know what your guys thoughts are like on, on run groups, or if, if you have any thoughts on that. My,
2: my personal experience with run groups for me as an athlete. So this isn't like each athlete I coach everyone. I approached this a little different, but for me personally, run groups were like terrible for me. And the reason was, is because every single time I got injured without a doubt, like I just, I was so injury prone running and that
0: it was friends.
2: (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it didn't really matter though, but for whatever reason, whenever I ran with other people, even if it was just like three or four of my friends that were training partners, if I ran with other people, I always got injured always within like weeks. And when I just did my own run training and focused on my own run, I got better and better and better and didn't have any issues. So, I mean, obviously I'm opening, you know, a little insight about me as a human being so maybe i was like too competitive or just tried to keep up too hard or whatever i don't know but for me i guess that's the important takeaway there is you got to know your athlete you know and and for me personally as an athlete run groups were absolutely a recipe for disaster you know just at no way would, you know that just was uh going to be something that was going to see me injured every literally every single time yeah. i think
1: that's pretty common i mean Definitely. I lived through that as well. Um, and I know like running college cross country, all of one season, I, I think one of the things that saved me is I was post a uh, pretty serious triathlon season and just like jumping in to college cross country. And it was just for fun. So I just ran with the people who I had the most fun with and they happened to kind of be around my speed. And like, if we just wanted to find some trails, um, You know and and just have fun with it we could do that but then i would get into trouble where i'm like at a certain workout just doing everything i can to to try to beat people that i had no business trying to beat right um and that's where you like get into trouble and you walk away and you're limping Um, and i think long runs you know long runs with the right group a long run is a beautiful beautiful thing and if the wrong group or with the wrong attitude long runs break you time after time, after time. Right. Um, Jesse, you run with people quite a bit.
0: I do. Yeah. And, but I think it is important to know your group and know kind of where you're at fitness wise and, and have a, have a stated goal for the run because you get a group of guys together, a group of competitive people together. every run's going to become a progression run and that's probably not good for it. Every long run to just all of a sudden, everyone is kind of like grinning and bearing it by the end. I think it's, it's important to have a group that can say, Hey, today we're doing an easy run. So we're going to like cap it at whatever that is for you guys, like eight minute pace or whatever. And I I do see a lot of run groups where it just gets a little bit peppy because everyone's having fun. You're a little bit motivated. And all of a sudden everyone's running a little bit too fast and everyone's doing their, their easy runs at marathon pace. And then, you know, get that fatigue that just kind of like, Snowballs through the rest of the the training cycle. So I think I was just going to jump
1: in, jump in on that idea. Before the podcast, we were chatting a bit about the Norwegian national team. And one thing I think that they do super well is they all have testing and they're doing the testing with the other athletes around their teammates around, and they know a hundred percent, they have heart rate and blood lactate telling them what easy is. And so then they can go out and they can do a trail run. That's like half walking, like literally like speed hike kind of thing. And they know what easy is and they know that everyone's goal is to go easy. So their training partners, it's like, it's a fail if they go too hard. Right. Um, And I think that's pretty interesting where like one of the reasons I think their group is so successful is they all actually know what easy is. And so then there's no like, you know uh, shoe measuring contests, um, <laughs> <laughs> before, you know, like mid easy workout. Cause they all know like, well, we're all going to do something harder. So anyways, I, and I think if you can, if you can make that in your group, you know, maybe you have to use a mile per hour pace or something like that, or maybe one, maybe the slowest person uses their heart rate. Cause it's often a hundred percent. Okay. To go a little bit too easy, but really not okay to go five seconds a mile too fast. And i think that's the big takeaway with like running it's almost always cool to go a bit too slow but like i'm sure Marilyn, right like you catch that the wrong couple of miles when you're feeling tired and that's how you end up broken and i know i was the same way it's just like i'm thinking well i can drop these people so why don't i right and you're like well now's not the time to drop them that's why um
2: it wasn't so much that i was usually me just trying to keep up (laughs) <laughs> don't don't
1: wait for me. Yeah, you're um,
2: like, oh, <laughs> I yeah. was never trying to drop anybody on any run. It was just me always trying to keep up. But I will say, um, to to your points are, I think the most important thing to zero on about what you're saying is with training groups and in particular running where injury is the highest risk for people, is picking the right people to train with. And where I've written articles on this actually, where your training partners, the best training partners you have are the ones that want to push you to see you get better, not the ones that compete with you to break you down. And I think that culture, and you really, you know, made a point of that saying that, you know, talking about the Norwegians and how they approach things is that each person's there, their goal is to build each other up and to be stronger. And so they understand like when it is time to work hard and we're going to push each other and when it is time, maybe even to hold each other back. And and everybody, the whole group dynamics goal is to, they're all there to support one another, to be better. And that's, I've been in groups of people like that before where the chemistry and the goal and the commitment that everyone has, that's part of that group. There's an understanding that that's the goal. We're all here to push each other to be better than, you know, and make each other better. And then you see it, it's like clear as day. You go to these group sessions where the only goal everyone has that day is to compete with one another and literally the point of breaking each other down. And that is such a negative place to be. If you're going to train day in and day out and you're trying to actually go after a really big goal and, and not just compete that day in a training session, you know, and I think understanding the difference is what can make or break a really good group, especially over a long period of time.
1: Yeah. For sure. And I think like, uh, I guess speaking personally in the very small group of Erica, my girlfriend, uh, who's a professional triathlete and myself who trains a bit with her, mostly behind her, um, is just like, we'll be out riding and it's my, one of my two rides a week. And I'm going a little bit too hard and because it's my time to work out. And she's just like, Hey, chill out. This is like, I just did, you know, 50 minutes of intervals yesterday. There's no need for us to be going that hard. Um, And she's good at just kind of like regulating and it's like, oh yeah, I'm the one who told her how, how hard she's supposed to be going. I should probably listen. Um, and, and obviously that's probably just showing why I was not that good of an athlete. Um, but you know, like I think a lot of some of the better athletes have a really good governor, even if you didn't give them a specific marker of just kind of saying like, this is not the time to do the work. This is the time to get in the volume and I'll do the work on my work day. Um, and then I'm going to do it really well. So you you see those groups of
2: people that they're all in it to make each other better, even on the hard days. It's like everybody's there, like nobody cracks, nobody's leaving, nobody's cutting it short. Nobody's um, pushing a little bit too hard or nobody's, you know, sandbagging it. Everybody's there to be like, hey, we're in this together and we're going to nail this. Right. And I've been in those kinds of groups where it's like everybody leaves that session going. They understood who maybe was like a little bit stronger or is having a tough day, but everybody left there better than they were and really really pushed each other to be good that day and man i think that's just magic when you see that happen in a group you know and you and week in and week out and everybody comes out a lot better and i have definitely been a part of groups where everybody is just fighting one another and trying to beat the crap out of each other and almost everyone either leaves like pissed off run down injured or too tired to actually do anything the next day properly. And it just breaks down really fast, you know? So selecting those groups and the dynamic that's right for you and your goals is absolutely key. I mean, it's just whether it's swim, bike, or run, that's that's really that's I think that's just like figuring that out is the most important thing.
0: I think, oh, Jesse. I was just gonna say, I do think that people maybe like underplay the influence they can have on a group where if you just say like, hey guys, this is what I want to do today. And it can, you can really kind of control the group. Most, most people, like, unless you're dealing with a group that all has a coach, most people are pretty willing to do, if you are like, have a strong opinion or you have like, hey, this is my workout. This is what I need to do. If you can communicate that and just get everybody on board and say, hey, like, yeah. this is what I'm building towards. And this is why If like, people are again, like pretty receptive to that. And like, we'll jump on board and say, oh, like, it's cool. We have a leader who's like going to kind of Help us move in the right direction, and, and you can be that voice. and And I think people, yeah, will kind of jump on board. And I mean, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a group of guys here that are like, yeah. Occasionally, we all have our own goals that we're we're working towards, but we we talk about that and and we kind of structure the workouts. And maybe it's like 90 percent the workout that I want, and 90 percent the workout somebody else wants. But then we get to all run mostly the workout together, and we have like our own kind of goals that we can kind of align. And for me, it's always like if I can get in like 85, 90 percent of the right workout but it can be really fun, that's that's a 100% a win. That Rather than doing like my exact workout and maybe going out and doing it solo. And again, like for me, it takes a lot of mental energy to do that, where if I could just like chat with a group of guys and sit in and get 90% of the perfect workout, most of the time, that's the route I'm gonna go. Yeah, I, it,
2: really, it really only takes one bad apple, right? Like it just takes one person who's not jiving with everyone, and they're just sort of messing up the rhythm of the purpose and the goal of the whole thing. And you can you can weed those people out pretty quick. You know, it's like everybody's got the same attitude. Everybody, you know, if they have like you say, a set leader, it's like, Hey, we all show up on time. We all have the same goal, the same purpose. Nobody's messing around with the dynamic of it. Nobody brings any bad energy in. I mean, if you've got that and you've got that kind of leadership in a group and it can, it can really make everybody there a lot better. And, um, and, you know, if you get a bad apple in there, don't be afraid to say like, Hey, this group isn't for you. It's time. We've all got the same purpose and the same goal. I think you should find some other people to go train with. You know, I think that's, that's not a bad way to go.
1: One little anecdote, as long as we're on the topic of running, um, I would say if you guys have a chance or to the listener, there's a book called Out of Thin Air. Um, let me get the exact. Yeah. Out of Thin Air. Um, and it's by Michael Crowley, I want to say. Anyways, it's about e- uh, Ethiopian runners and their running groups. And they have you know a bunch of professional runners that are just producing some of the fastest marathoners in the world. And he kind of runs through like one of the main sessions that they do. And it's not every week, but it's a lot of weeks of the year. And basically they start the group and they say, okay, we're going to run X amount of time, just easy. And and they all have a really good set focus of what's easy. And then the work starts, right? And then everybody knows the work starts. And when the work starts, everyone gets in a line and you run on pace. And if you go too fast, you're bad. And if you go too slow because you can't hang on, that's fine. That means the workout's over for you. And they kind of break it up into 5K chunks, right? And they go 5K at a certain pace. Then they drop a couple seconds a K for five more K and then five more K and then five more K. And eventually sometimes they're doing 25K fast, but usually it's somewhere between 15, 10 or 15. And so the not as fast runners, they just kind of go in and they do 5K and then maybe 10K at that next faster pace. And then their workout's done. And it's interesting because everybody's training to win a race and anything short of winning a race doesn't matter um, because that's not how they're going to make a living. So then they just say, well, this is the beginning part of the people who win the race. This is what they do. And if you go too fast on that second 5k section, you're messing that up for somebody who's just trying to make it to the end of of the third 5k section. So it's just within the group that it's like, it's not about how fast you go. It's how well you execute the workout. And, and then as a result, every single person gets a pretty darn good workout, just like what Jesse was saying. And it's just this huge group where you get into this mindset of executing well and running the workout properly over running it like as hard as you want. And then everybody gets like a little free play the last couple kilometers, but it's not more than, it's not more than like 3k where they can really go for it. Um, and I, I just have thought that's like super interesting that such a successful group of people have a really well-defined way to bring people up from the bottom and also keep the people at the top really well entertained for as long as possible with just kind of one simple workout that they're doing like, you know, 30, 40 times a year.
0: So let's talk about the situations where you basically have no control. Let's talk about group rides. <laughs> I mean, in general, you show up at a group ride, and unless you happen to be the absolute strongest person there, like, by a lot, you pretty much don't have control about, over what that group does, right? You have control about what you do within that group ride, but you're you're kind of relinquishing a lot of control to, to the riders in the group. Yes. Mar- Marilyn, what do you feel about, like, incorporating group rides into your triathlon-ing?
2: Yeah, you know, I, it's the same, I have the same opinion as I do for the other two sports. I think it plays a role, an important role for certain athletes for motivation, learning to push harder than they maybe would, um, you know, on their own, learning that group dynamic, um, all of these kinds of things. I think you know, there's a time and place for everything. I also think that, and as far as the bike goes for long distance triathletes, so maybe not so much short course athletes, but long distance athletes, it's very important for them to understand how to execute, uh, exact being out there on their own for a long time. That's such a hugely important piece of long distance triathlon that if you're always riding in a group, you might get a false sense of actually your speed and your effort and your Watts. And even if you're just riding with one other training partner and you're always sitting on their wheel, cause they're faster, then all of a sudden you go out there on your own race day and you're pushing the wind. You don't have anyone pacing you. The speed is different. The feel is different. The cadence is different. Everything's just a little bit different. And you, you might underperform in the race compared to how fast or how hard you're able to do it in training because you're always on somebody's, wheel that's a little bit faster than you. So I think, you know, as far as group rides go, it can, it depends where you're at in your development depends if you're racing short course draft legal, obviously it's going to be an important piece of your development to learn that dynamic and the and accelerations and learning how to follow wheels and all that kind of th- stuff. Um, I think it can really help push people harder than they ever thought, because there might be periods in your development where you think, oh, no, I can only go this hard for this long. And you start to limit yourself until that day that you sit on someone's wheel for twice as long, twice as hard, and you break some huge barriers. So it can be really great that way. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, just all of those things to take in mind. It's not just like a one shoe fits all type situation.
1: And I think, uh, with a group ride, right. Much like master swimming, you learn the skill of the sport. Super fast, um, in a group ride. And when you're by yourself, some of those skills, you might never, you might actually in 30 years of riding, never learn certain riding skills when you're by yourself. Um, and I think that's where, if you're really trying to get the top, 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 top end of the sport group rides are basically a must, right?
2: I will say like for one thing that I've, I've said to a lot of people, there's a, some really fast group rides around the country, but one, of you know, one really great one here in Tucson that is pretty legendary is the shootout. And right. And so the, the main group that goes is fast, right? It's got all the pro athletes in there. Jesse, you're in there, right? There's a lot of pro road guys, pro triathlon guys, guys and gals. Um, so it's, it's fast, it's hard, it's competitive and some people say, Hey, you're going fast enough and you're going well enough. You should go on the main shootout. The problem with that is, is if it's the group is so fast and so hard, you go all out for, let's say 20 minutes and then blow up and then spend the rest of that 80 miles groveling along really, really slowly. Then you're not actually getting any better or any fitter. You got like 20 minutes worth of work and the rest of the time you just tootled around right? But if you if I go in the, they call it the B group or here they call it the old man shootout,, shootout. Um, which the scoot, scoot out, out, the scoot yeah. out, I can get three hours of hard work, right? So now my cumulative total of hard work, it's still really hard. Everybody there is great riders. and but it's not so hard that I'm bleeding out my eyeballs and blow up in 20 minutes. I can actually get really, really hard work for three hours versus 20 minutes. So in all group ride situations, I'll say to my athletes, make sure you pick a group where it's going to push you. Yes. But if you're going so hard that you blow up in five to 20 minutes, it wasn't worth going. You
1: because want to be a participant. You don't the total want to number be of- a spectator. Well, in terms on. of
2: in terms of fitness building, five yeah. to 20 minutes worth of work is not enough. So if you're going there and you're blowing up in five minutes and then just riding easy for the rest of the two hours or three hours or whatever, we're not any better for it. We got like five minutes worth of going, balls out and then you blow up and then now you're just riding around in zone one, trying to recover from that for days. It's like, what was the, what was the point of that? Right. (laughs) Versus like you go to like something where you get three hours worth of pretty hard work and even like little sections that are darn hard. And then now you're way fitter than you were. So it's like, why would I go on a ride where I'm going to get, go hard for five minutes and blow up? Makes no sense in terms of even getting any better or any fitter, you know?
1: Yeah, you're 100% right. I I know the first time we went to Tucson, Erica was doing a mix of scoot out and shootout. And it was like, you know, two scoot outs for every shootout. And it was like, okay, well, I'm doing the shootout. And she was, you know, she was regularly the last or second last girl in the group, which is usually like 20 or 30. So people left. Um, and it was like, okay, well, you know, I made it past, you know, I, I made it to the final 20% of the group or whatever. And, and for her, that was about forty-five, I want to say minutes of work or so. And then she was in a group that was still working well together. Cause they were close enough to the front. Um, and then I, I have another athlete who shall remain nameless. Um, you know, who's I, I want to say qualified for his pro card, like six times, but never took it. He only does the scoot out and, you know, for, yeah, you can raise your eyebrows. That's fair. Uh, But, um, it's, it's basically that it's just like, he's not comfortable with going that hard with that level of rider. And so maybe that's why he's not taking his pro card, but it's still like physiologically he's getting in really good work there.
0: So, yeah, Yeah. it sounds like it's making sure that you are doing what you need to do to get the best out of the group ride for you. So whether that's finding an easier group or, you know, or not, but making sure that the group is working to your advantage and you're not just there like to, to whatever, be, be pack fodder. That doesn't help you at all.
1: Can I touch briefly on, I'm sure there's plenty of people here who are not doing a group ride with 120 people, like the shootout, (laughs) um, you know, who are at their local group and maybe they're the fastest person in town. Um, like I've had to do this living in a small town for a while. If you're the fastest person there, your job is not to beat everybody. Your job is to make you stronger. And so, you know, things people can do. They can show up on a cross bike. They can show up with Mr. Tuffy's in their tires. If you even know what those are, it's a plastic liner. Um, so it's, you're way less likely to get a flat. Um, they also slow you down just cause it's extra rotational weight. And you can also just make a point to pull really kind of steady hard for the first couple miles of a ride where you get tired and you kind of let everybody get into a groove and you're just like, Hey guys, let me get like 10, 15 minutes in. Or you just, you know, you pull kind of at everybody's limit, but also at your own limit. And you kind of, you know, tenderize yourself up while everybody's sitting in and then let them have a field day and try to, you know, basically be like, all right, it's open season. This is your chance to try to beat me. Right. I'm real tired. You guys aren't. Um, And then you're kind of on a bit more of an even playing field. And I think that's also the thing you want to keep in mind is like, you want your riding partners to get faster because then you have faster people to train with. Right. And so it's it's okay to bring somebody up along with you. Um, if it's then gonna then give you someone to kind of like have a little boxing match with in your training. And that's gonna help eventually push you on. And you can do that without limiting yourself in early rides, as long as you kind of go about it in the appropriate manner.
0: Yeah. I also like the you know, a couple hours of endurance before a ride. If you're doing like a night ride, like yeah. Wednesday night worlds or something.
1: That's or, a classic.
0: Or a uh or a friday workout before a saturday group ride that's yes i mean that's something i started incorporating in my own training even before the shootout where i'm nowhere near the fastest guy there but it it definitely was a good way to kind of stack work and try and ride hard on on tired legs so i don't both could yeah the,
1: the last time i was raising bikes seriously it was wednesday morning spin class an hour and a half to two hours easy show up to the group ride And then pull hard for the first 15 minutes and then let everybody try to kill me and just, you know, at that point, you're just like fighting off everybody as best you can. And you know, you lose a lot, but you get better for
0: it. Yeah. Nothing matter losing. If you get a chance to work really hard for a long time.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I'd rather win races than group rides.
1: (laughs) Yes, me too. Unfortunately, I didn't win a lot of either, but still
0: Ah, same here. But you know, that's the (laughs) idea anyways, uh, another, another thing I wanted to touch on with group rides is what about a group of friends who ride together? Cause I think there's like your standard group ride. That's like the shootout Wednesday night worlds, but there's also like, especially during COVID, I don't know, we had this great thing where there's a group of us that actually like rode bikes together, like friends and not like we were trying to actually cut each other's heads off with our bikes. And that was a, a super fun thing that I, I think maybe could be actually incorporated more in people's training. If, if you can get some kind of like-minded individuals together for that. Yeah.
2: When I was, uh, when I was training full-time, we had a really special group that that did that. Like we were literally just a group of friends that all lived within one to two miles, one another. And we all had the same schedule and the same goals and the same mindset. And we did that, you know, we met every day for our swim. Someone would show up with the workout. We took turns who was responsible for bringing the workout. And then we all just did the same workout and pushed each other. Same thing on the ride. We would, you know, we'd meet on the corner of X and Y. And, you know, we all knew we were going to ride, you know, three hours, four hours, whatever it was, or, you know, and um, and rode together and and pushed each other. And and it's that same dynamic. It's I think the, the key component is is that it's the right people with the right goals in mind. You know, it's the same thing we keep saying over and over again. And um I think that that can keep people working hard and showing up when it gets tough you know there does there is an element of you know being able to fight through that on your own and being able to concentrate on your own and that's an important skill to have as an ironman athlete especially Uh, but i do think the the day in and day out you know through my career i had my staple training partners and without them i don't think i would have been in the game as long as I was, you know, they just made me better and they made me show up and, and work hard when maybe I wasn't always feeling up for it. So I I think that that's, you know, with the right people that that's really, really good for
0: any level athlete, right? Yeah. I think it's good if you can, you know, get a good chunk of your work done like that. And then you say, okay, like Ironman is on the calendar and whatever, six to 10 weeks out. And I need to really put in some of my own personal quality Like what's that gonna look like? And maybe you need to go out on those solo rides a few times to practice that. But you've got like this bank of rides under you where you weren't solo. So you're kind of psyched to say, I don't need to chatter with Marilyn today. I'm gonna just go put my head down. Don't need to deal with that. I don't want to listen to her for three hours again. God, I know when tired of listening to me because
2: he starts going harder. Like, oh God. <laughs> like, okay, well, I'll just slot in and sit behind okay. him. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> it's like, I'll just start going harder and harder until she shuts up.
1: <laughs> do you guys think that I, I feel like that's a great strategy for someone who's kind of like the fastest in their friend group is like, you make a point to do all your easy stuff with people or as often as you can. And then sure. Yeah. You do a bunch of hard workouts by yourself, but like you're just kind of building up your social time as best you can on those easy workouts, um, that have the most flexibility. And maybe it is okay if you go a little bit easier and, and maybe you have a friend where like your easy ride is actually kind of their threshold ride, but they are looking for that push. And so then you kind of meet in the middle and otherwise you wouldn't have a workout to do together. Um, I think that's a good way to kind of, you know, you know, it, you're allowed to have friends who aren't the exact same speed as you, right? Well, and how many so, times
2: is it just you knowing you're going to go meet somebody that gets you out the door, right? Yeah. Like how many right. how many times it's like, you're like procrastinate or think you're going to put it off or you're just like, oh God. And you know, like, hey, I got to get up tomorrow at this time because I'm meeting so-and-so and if I don't show up, they're going to kill me. And so it's like, you're just, you have that responsibility of meeting someone, uh, you know, and, and I think that that, just that in itself is, so helpful for so many people when you train you know when you train a lot i mean we train a lot as triathletes so having that is pretty great if you can if you
0: have access to it i mean even if it's just a warm-up right like let's do the 45 minute spin over to lemon together and then yeah. we'll do the whatever our individual workouts but we get that kind of 45 minutes of social time we both know we're gearing up for the, the workout and then we can kind of do our own thing
2: yeah yeah um, just turning up it's like okay i'll, I'll be there
0: <laughs> yeah and yeah, Elliot, to your point, I do think it, you need to be careful that you're, you know, if you're supposed to be doing like a, an endurance ride versus a recovery spin, you know, and, and like someone's too much below your level, then all of a sudden, you're just riding recovery pace for three hours instead, like, you got sure. to, you got to be careful that you're, you're actually lining it up with what you need in that moment. But yeah, I think it's totally great to be able to, to kind of move that around and, and you know, ride with someone at a slightly different level for you. If, when it fits appropriately.
1: Yeah. And honestly, well, I guess we haven't taken a stance on e-bikes, but like I I coached somebody who was a, he was a professional cyclocross racer and like did the seasons in Belgium, et cetera. Um, and he would go ride and he his his now wife had an e-bike and he was like, yeah, she's a little too slow with the e-bike. I mean, you have to understand this is a guy who can do over 400 Watts for an hour. Right. Um, and, uh, Jesse's shaking his head cause he knows he's not that big of a guy. But, uh, the point is that he, he could do a couple easy rides with her. And he was like, yeah, I can't, you know, this is the only situation. She puts the e-bike on full power and we can spend for like an hour and a half, two hours easy, but that's, that's how they did it. And it was like, there's no other option. And I think that's a pretty cool option that only in the last couple of years has become more available to some people. And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't you? Um, I mean, I get heckled daily. It's like, when are you getting, going to get an e-bike so you can do my hard workouts with me? Um, and so, you know, that's probably in my future. <laughs> right. And the other thing may- I
2: think is really cool about groups too. Like what you're saying there, Elliot, is that like, I've seen it with camps and just groups where you meet people who are maybe more experienced or, or better than you. Is mm-hmm. it, it raises you to a new level that you might not, otherwise think that you can do like, and it might not be like necessarily speed or effort. It's just
1: perception. Maybe,
2: maybe everybody's, you know, who's there is so their how they handle their bike is just better. Or they, their expectation on what you might, you might think, well, I only ever ride 90 minutes. We can meet these group and they're like, we ride three hours every time. And you realize, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Like I can do that too. Like it just lifts We talked about Epic Camp and stuff in the last podcast, you know, had I not been exposed to that, I would have never gone out and done that on my own, you know, I would never would have thought I could do it on my own. But just because you meet this group of people, and all of a sudden, they're exposing you to things that are way outside of your own, it's kind of like getting you to think outside the box and out of your own head, and you're exposed to things that are way beyond what you thought was capable. And now you have just a whole new outlook or new goals. Even you think, oh, wow, I've set my bar way too low. Like this is actually possible. I think, I think that that's, you know, a, a piece of group training as well that can really help people along is just open up their eyes to something new and something greater than the, what they thought was possible for them.
1: Yeah. I think she, you bring up a great point, which when you're looking for group partners you probably don't need to worry so much about how fast they are, but you do want somebody who's generally thinking that they could get better. You don't like if every once in a while people meet somebody and it's like, they don't think things are possible, you know, or they they can't, you know, oh, I can't do that. Or, I'm, you know, it's, it's not that they're not willing to, they just think, oh, that's not for me because my body can't do that. And the biggest thing you need to change is just like, telling people you could. And I think one of the funniest examples I ever knew, this is like kind of early days of the internet, but in like 2004 and five on the university of Montana triathlon team, we just decided in a year or two, we could win nationals. We had no, nobody on the team had done really triathlon before. We just knew some guys in town who like raced professionally. And we were like, well, they just train a lot. So we can train a lot. Right. And then we just decided we could win nationals and it's all we talked about for multiple years. And then we ended up winning nationals and a bunch of people became professionals, but it was like for multiple years, we were just like, yeah, let's try to win nationals. Well, what does that take? What do people do? we had no idea, but we just knew it was more. So then we just like, as a group, I think the coolest thing about, like we had a guy who was like our eighth fastest guy who did a two Oh one Olympic distance on an actual real course. And he thought he stunk. Um, and it was just because the mindset of the group was, we're going to go faster. And we didn't know how fast we could go, but we knew, well, if we all go faster, it's a team, like you have to have your top three guys and top three girls. And it was like, well, we'll just all as a group get better. And that's, you know, it was a, per, a per, exactly that perception. So when you're choosing your group partners, you know, nobody's going to be in that mindset and you can change other people's mindset, but just try to keep things light and positive and having fun and like Believing in your own kind of like future ability is always kind of something to keep in in the background of your mind when you're in those group settings.
0: Yeah, that was way deeper. I was just going to say, and when you're faster (laughs) people, watch how many snacks they eat. But that was good too.
1: (laughs) We can cut it out.
0: We awesome. I think that was a lot of fun. I think we kind of gave some good insight to people and how they can make the groups work for them and what they can bring to the table and what their takeaways should be in order to train either with or without groups kind of effectively in all three sports.
1: Agreed.
2: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, thank thanks you guys for, for listening. For sure. Yeah. All right.
2: <laughs> thanks guys. Thanks.
1: We're done.
0: <laughs>